You okay, buddy? Good, bud. Good. That's great. So I built a 1901. 1901? And this is a police minivan. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. So, hi, buddy. You're here, too. You know, uh, last week, do you remember what we prayed for? Actually, last two weeks, do you remember what we prayed for? Oh, yeah. Very good. I'm very good. gold star up here. Okay. Good. I don't know them, but that's good. Um, so we are thankful, right? And it's good to be thankful. But you know what comes after being thankful? It's this thing called gratitude. And gratitude is how we work out our thankfulness in our lives. Um, how we work it out in obedience and, and love and mercy and kindness, right? So that, that thankfulness that for God's grace works out in our lives in this, this thing called gratitude. So I want to pray about that. You think that's a good thing to pray about? Yeah? Okay, good. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for these little ones here, Lord. I, I thank you and I praise you for them. I pray, Lord, that, um, again, Lord, that they would always have thankful hearts, that they would never forget your grace upon them. I pray, Lord, that that thankfulness would work out in gratitude in their lives and how they live their lives, lives of obedience, lives of giving you glory and praise, lives filled with mercy and love and compassion for others, and, Lord, a desire for your truth. I just pray that in their souls, Lord, that you would just watch over them and bring this great gratitude in their lives. I pray this and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Way to get them all riled up, Scott. We, uh, we do love having them, all the, the kids in here, and uh, all that comes with having the, the children uh, up here with us, but I understand as a parent that sometimes that's too much for us as a parent. So, yeah. But so just know that uh, there's a, we're streaming it downstairs to the TV downstairs where the, the nursery and the tables and everything are if you ever need yourself to go down there. That goes for anybody without kids too. If you just want to go down there, that, that is available for you. Um, please open your Bibles. Can you hear me all right? To Romans chapter 8. Second part of um, verse 28. For that, I wanted to to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We're still eating leftovers, enjoying leftovers. I'm very thankful for you. You know the the. I love our church. We we have a, a wonderful church. I love the way, that, yeah. I love that. I love that that happens from time to time, and that's just who we are. That's real life. But uh, I do. I I love you all, and I'm I'm thankful for you all. That that word love. There there may be no word or.
concept in the human language or mind more misunderstood or misapplied than love. Love can drive us to the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. Love can make us extremely selfless or it can drive us misapplied to be extremely selfish. It can build up or it can tear down, it can give life or it can kill depending on how we understand it and what we use it for. How we understand love and what we love determines the direction of our lives and the direction of our eternity. We're in the midst of one of God's great promises here in Romans 8.28. Today we're going to see that that promise is for those who love. But not just any kind of love and not just those who love anything. The promise, this promise, is for those who love God. Today we want to determine who that is that loves God and where that love comes from and what that means in the context of Romans 8 and then, of course, as we should think about in every sermon, how then should we live? So I'm going to start with verse 22. Romans 8.22, and I will read through verse 30. Paul says, For we know, we know, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, excuse me, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, all things work together. This verse 28 starts out with, we know, and if you look At verse 26, or recall from verse 26, it's what we do not know, right? He's contrasting it a little bit. We do not know how to pray as we ought. We need God's intervention. We need his spirit to get us from our trial 
to excitement and being conformed to the image of God. That's a leap. That's that is hard for us to get there. Each and every one of us. We want this trial to be over. It's not easy easy for us to every time a trial comes on or every time our sin is exposed or every time a difficulty in life happens to immediately get to that place to being excited that this thing that we're going through is conforming us to the image of Christ. We don't even know to, to pray that. So, so his spirit intercedes for us. But Paul contrasts that we do not know with verse 28 what we do know. Not that love doesn't need the help of the spirit to get there. But this fact of what we do know, verse 28, should be basic ground level knowledge for us. We know it. We trust in this. We can bank on it. We know that all things work together for good. And I briefly mentioned last week what the all things and the for good entail. But let me refresh your memory. Just look down to verse 35. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Right, We're in the context of the same argument there. Paul's not talking about merely good things or things we wouldn't necessarily think are good, but these difficult things things will work together for our good. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, being without our basic needs, danger, or sword. Paul's saying those things, they're encompassed in the all things that will work together for good. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 to 23, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, there's the difficult thing again, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All things work for good. That is life, death, present, future, blessings, sins, struggles, pains, persecutions, all of it. The Greek word implies a completeness in this all things, an entirety, a fullness when he says all things. And so these all things work together. Work together is one word in the Greek, and it's synergy where we get the word synergy, right? This working together. God isn't working out all things for good as if he's making lemonade out of the lemons of life. I think we look at things like that and we think of that God. Well, God can make good out of this, right? No, God is. He is working this for good. He isn't taking difficult things and reacting to them and saying, 
oh, that stinks. Let me make something better of it for you. What Paul is saying is that these things that are happening are planned and they are working for your good. It's a working together, a synergy to bring you good. And what is that good? I read it. I'll read it again. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God planned all things to be in synergy for good, to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. This understanding is huge for your outlook on the world, for your understanding of God himself. Do we worship a God? Do we pray to a God who could prevent bad things from happening to you, but for some reason he just doesn't answer your prayers? It tends to lead us down a performance-based faith, doesn't it? We start thinking that we pray these things, and because God didn't choose to answer them, maybe there's something wrong with us, or maybe I didn't pray it in the right way. Maybe because my life isn't as holy as I would like it to be, or certainly God would like it to be, then therefore God didn't answer my prayer accordingly. So we make our faith, and we don't really understand God, do we? I, I don't know when I pray what's going to get answered in my favor, what's not going to get answered in my favor. When I look at someone else, it seems like God's answering their prayers in their favor. What am I doing wrong here? Is that the God we worship? Or do we worship a God who is sovereign? A God who is in control, a God who has a plan, a God who wants to conform you, spend an eternity with you, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, and is conforming you to the image of his son. And as these things, as we live in a world of brokenness and fallenness and sin and death, you're not taken out of that world. You're going to be in this world and a part of this world, but like the rest of the world who's experiencing these things as a precursor of what is to come for their eternity, when we experience these things, God is a part of his plan using them to transform us, to conform us to the image of his son. Same things, part of his plan. It's a synergy. God's not reacting to everything and preventing some stuff and answering some prayer, prayers. But he has a plan from the beginning. And he uses these things as part of his plan to accomplish his purposes. And Paul and the rest of the Bible make it clear that God is sovereign and has a plan. And that plan is love. So who is it that God is working all things together for good for. It is for those who love God. 
Here's what we want to ask. And if you paid attention last week, then you already know the answer. Is there or are there two classes of Christians here, or is he talking about all Christians? Can you be a Christian without loving God? You see what I'm asking? Because some have misinterpreted this text and said, okay, well, there's Christians, and that's just a belief, that's just a knowing who God is, believing in the truths, believing in the facts. But then there's a different class that those are the ones who love God. And for those, God's going to work all things for their good. For the other, it's, it's that hit or miss, some of the things maybe. Well, Paul, almost as if he was foreseeing that, that misapplication, tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And since Romans 8, 1 tells us that no one in Christ Jesus is condemned, cursed, and this verse, 1622, 1 Corinthians, tells us that anyone who does not love the Lord is accursed. And we can deduce that Paul means that all true Christians love God. I think that's why he makes the further clarification in this very verse that it is for those who are called according to his purpose. But why say love? right? He's talking about belief. He's talking about hope. He's talking about faith. Why say love right here? Why not say those who are in Jesus, all things work together for good for those who are in Jesus? Or why not say all things work together for those who have belief, for those who have trust, or those who have faith? It's an interesting word to put there but an important word because it does summarize what has happened to us and in us. And let's just look at what's happened in Romans 8 and see if the things that have happened in Romans 8 are enough for us to love God and then be described as those who love God. Verse 7, we see that we were hostile to God with minds set on the flesh, you were his enemy. You were deserving the eternal consequences of being his enemy. So what did he do? Was that worthy of love? It wasn't punishment because we see in verse 15, he saved you through his son and brought you into a family relationship with him. Hostile to God, enemies, mindset on the flesh, deserving of eternal punishment, God makes you a part of his family. Now you call him Abba. You call him Father. He changes from hate to love. It's a hostility to family, and it's a family that is defined by love. So is that enough of what God did right there for you to love him? Right, We love people and things for far less, do we not? That's just right there in Romans 8. But it is a love. Christianity is a faith. It's a belief. 
to trust, but it's defined by love. It's more than an intellectual assent. Salvation is more than that. We had a good talk about this in Sunday school, as if you knew that this was coming. Right? We treat it like that. We treat it like if you just know the right things and believe them, then we are good. And listen, don't, I'm, Teresa, I'm glad that you asked the question at the end and brought it up because it reminded me to make a clarification here. Doctrine meaning teaching, right teaching, doctrine is good, and a right understanding is good, and we shouldn't teach the wrong things. We should teach what the Bible teaches, and we should put an emphasis on that. But sometimes, many times, we can treat it like as if just knowing the right things is enough. If you just know them, then that's enough. We treat it like that in our own heart. We treat it like that with our children. We treat it like that with others. I told them, they know. They know what is right from wrong. I don't understand why they're not, why they haven't come to saving faith. Salvation, God tells us, is a heart issue. It's a love issue. We don't follow God because we don't want to follow God. We want other things. We want the world. We love the world. We love our sin. We love being our own God. No one telling us what to do. We like to determine what's right for wrong for ourselves. We love the love of others. And we love to live in such a way that others think highly of us. Before any salvation can happen, we need a heart change. Our heart has to change so that we love God and we want his love instead of the world's love. We want to love him over the things of this world. Salvation involves love. It always has, and it always will. John says this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves... And he's talking about a love for God and a love for others, a biblical love, a right love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So they were born of God. They were reborn. They experienced new birth or regeneration or that aha moment in, in life. They had a love for God. God poured his love into their hearts. They see, wow, I have lived in opposition to this love. And I deserve the, the, the punishment that God has talked about in his word. But God has made a way for me to be forgiven, for me to be in right standing with God. And to 
love God freely and experience God's love freely through his son, Jesus Christ. So that has happened. And so whoever loves has already been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we didn't, we weren't just sitting there in our unbelief, in our undesire for God, in our love for the world, in our love for self, and all of a sudden we thought, mm, that God idea sounds pretty good. I love it. I'm going to go after it. That's not how it happens. Something has to happen first, and what John says, not that we have loved God, but he loved us. So God loves us. He sees, not that there's a, when the Bible talks about an inability to choose God, it's talking about an inability of desire because we love the world so much. So if that's going to break, if we're going to get to this point to be for those who love God, God has to intervene, and he's got to give us a heart to want that. And he does. He loves us first, and he gives us that new heart through new birth. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Paul says it like this in Romans 5. This is how it happened. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Picture in us, we have these empty hearts not full of love, and he's going to take his love and pour it into our hearts so that we have love. We had a heart without love for God. He poured his in. So love for God, love for God, we, we, we misapply this, and we just say any kind of love we see it all over TV. We see it all over the place, all over the internet. Any kind of love is what God's want. No, it starts with a love for God. And not just any God, the, the God in here, right? The God described in here. And this is where right teaching comes into play. It starts with the love for him. And when that happens, it overflows into a love for others. A love for lost, a love for brothers and sisters. But it starts with a love for God. It's essential to the Christian life. It's the beginning of the Christian life. It's the hallmark of the Christian life. It is primary in the Christian life. Everything stems from a love for God. We have a love for God or we have nothing. We have nothing. It isn't just about what you know. It isn't just about showing up here. It's about who you love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And, I, and if I have all 
faith. See that? If I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love for God is essential to the Christian life. He's talking about some crazy things here in 1 Corinthians 13. Speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. Basically know everything in the world and understand it rightly. If I have faith, so much faith that I can remove a mountain, or if I do everything, everything that I do, the things that I do, if I give everything I have away, if I go through the grace, what did Jesus say to love, right, is the, the, the giving up your life for your friends. If I deliver my body to be burned, all those things, no matter what I know, no matter what I do, no matter what I believe, no matter the, the things that I can say, if love isn't there, I've got nothing. It's essential to the Christian life. Love for God. It is the Christian faith. So this passage says, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, right? Nobody's coming here. Shocker. Love is important to the Christian faith. I rarely do say things that you don't already know, but that's just the point. <clears throat> it isn't merely about what you know. It's about what you love. More importantly, it's about who you love. My prayer this week for myself and for you and my prayer today is that God will remind us how critical it is for us to love him. We can get caught up. We all do. We all do. We get caught up in the world. We get caught up in the busyness of life. We get caught up in our own struggles. And this becomes a routine. We'll look at our Bible or we'll listen to our Bible. We'll go to the various things the church has going on. We'll show up here on Sunday. We can get in a routine where this is a routine. And we can forget that love for God is absolutely essential. And so praise God for passages like this that remind us, right? He uses his spirit and it says, that's right. I knew that, but it's like, that's right. Love for God is important. And maybe he's showing you in your own heart where that hasn't been the case. Or maybe it has been the case and you say, that's right, God was the one who put it there. And he's affirming in you what he's done. But I also want you to consider at the same time what you love. 
And where does God rank in the loves of our life? How then would he have us to adjust accordingly? So I'll just give four points of application here. I've needed this. I've needed this. I need it. I'll need it today. I'll need it tomorrow. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm in this with you here. First, have you been loved by God? Do you know the ways, none of us know all the ways, but do you know the ways he has told you or shown you how he loves you? Let me give you the primary way. For God so loved the world, meaning God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're in a great time, right? We're post-Thanksgiving and gratitude and thinking about all the, the stuff that we're thankful for that God has done. And we have Christmas coming up where we're preparing our hearts to remember that God loved us so much in this way that he's made Christmas happen. So that if I believe in him, I would not perish but have eternal life. That is the primary. And it's worth thinking about constantly. Think about where you came. Think about what he rescued you from in life. Thinking about what he called you out of. Where you were when he poured his love into your heart. Undeserved, hostile to him chasing the world, and he sent his son. So, how have you been loved by God? Second, do you love God? Or do you just believe he exists and know a lot of great facts about him? Has his love been poured into your heart? So do you love God? And that's the gospel call for us all. So if if you think about your, your life and you think there never really has been a love for him, then I would turn to him, right? We just don't recognize those things on our own. So, so he's purposeful and he has you here and he has you hearing this for a reason. So spend the afternoon talking to him about that, reading about him, uh, praying if you want someone to pray with or talk to, give me a call or one of the elders. Pray for a heart of love toward God. For those who do love God, God has poured his love into your heart, but now life has happened, and maybe that was a long time ago, or maybe a lot of things have happened. Here's what I'll ask. Where does God rank in the priority of your love? We love a lot of things. We're, we're people of love. There's nothing wrong with that. And God gives us good gifts to point us to him and to his love. But what we do oftentimes is we fall in love with the gifts. We all do. And so we're... Here he is on the throne of our heart, and he gives us 
gifts that are meant to elevate his status in our heart, we we say, wow, I really love that gift, or I love that thing, or I love that person, or I love that child, or that grandchild, or I love this, I love that health. We, we start elevating these things, right? Now we're messed up. Now it becomes about what I want, what I demand, what I, what I need. It, it becomes about those things. So examine your heart today, this week. Where does God rank Okay, the priorities of our love. When we sin, we sin because in the moment we choose to love something more than loving God. We sin because we place anything above God on the throne of our hearts. God must be number one. All things are not sinful, but not all things are helpful. There are things in your life that are not sinful in and of themselves, but when we place them above God, they become very not helpful and they become, then they turn into sinful. So we need to assess, where is this, right? We could tell when it's taken away tell this with our children. We can tell the things that have reached that priority of how we respond when they're taken away. When those things are taken away and we lash out and we get angry and we start accusing and we start doing these things, that should cue us in. That thing has gotten pretty high up there on my priority list. Lastly, how can you express your love for God? He loves us. He poured his love into our hearts. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. He has given us the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, the gift of the Holy Spirit. All out of love, he has shown mercy. He has given us the gift of sanctification. He has given us these good gifts to prepare us for an eternity with him, and we love him, right? We love him. We love him. So we say, how can I show you love? And thank God, he's, he's already given you that answer. I'll give you two. Number one, and they're linked together. Number one, by obedience. By obedience. We mix them around, right? We mix them around and we say, I'm going to, Oh, obey God, right? I, I'm going to do everything. And then we, we think that the love is just going to come along. I'm going to obey, and then that, that love will just get there. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. But he says, love me, and out of that love for me, then obey. Obey my commands. We look at the New Testament, and we see all the old self, new self stuff. We see all the put off and put on stuff, and we say, this is how you were. But now, because the love of God has been poured into your hearts, this is how you are now. This is how, who you are to be now. Remember, all the who you are to be now is that being conformed to the image of Christ, right? This is who you are to be now. This is going to prepare you for forever. So we do this out of love. We don't, we don't do this because we have to. But really, we love something else, but God said I have to do this, so I'm going to do it 
right, reluctantly. That's not obedience. That's not biblical obedience. We seek the love of God first. We seek his will. We seek his desires. We say, well, how can I live for you? How can I obey you out of that love? And one of the chief ways that he says that we obey is by loving others. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, just as I have loved you. That's pretty tough. Just as I, in the same way that I have loved you, go and love everybody else. Now, thank God he also is talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit at the same time because that seems pretty impossible. But just as I have loved you, love one another. You are also to love one another. By this, by your love for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love. I'm not going to read it, but go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and see what an expression of that love for one another is. It's patient. It's kind. It does not seek its own way. Right? All of those things. Jesus tells us, this is how you can obey. This is how you can show your love for me by loving one another. And there's lots of ways for that. There are lots of ways for that, right? There is the sharing of the gospel, the pointing them to Jesus, the confronting them in sin, but there is also helping them move, right? Caring for them when they're sick, giving them a phone call, shooting them a text. Let them cry on your shoulder. Love, expressions of love for one another are limitless. We love this promise that God works out all things for our good, but we must remember this, that he works it out for the good of those who love him, that he has put his love upon. So do you love him? Do you really love him? He loved you and he gave his life up for you so that you would love him. By his spirit that he put within us, Let's seek to be people who love our God without restraints. We were created to. We have been called to. We have been redeemed so that we can love him with all of our heart and soul and our mind and our strength. May his spirit keep this gift of love on our hearts and in our minds and give us strength to do so for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for love. Let us not forget as this Christmas season starts to come upon us and the busyness, or maybe it's a time of sorrow and heartache. Let us not forget your love. Let us seek out your love. Remind us of the importance of your love, the value of of your love, the power of your love. Let us be people who love you. And then therefore, out of that overflow of love for you, love others and meet the needs of others. Make this church today, Lord,
These people make me a people of your love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.